1: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen.
0: See my pleading time.
1: This morning we're going to be hearing the word of God from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. You can find this in the Pew Bible on page 886. John 1 1 through 13. The Word of the Lord.
2: Let's pray together. Bless us, Lord, to receive Your Word and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe on Him, to enjoy the great benefits of belonging to Him, to be refreshed in who we are in Christ be refreshed in His great work for His people. Bless us, O Lord. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. We have uh, a lot of needs as human beings. Uh, One of ours is a sense of worth, isn't it? A sense of dignity, which can be destroyed in a child uh, growing up that is ignored, unloved by its parents, abused and hurt by its parents, It can destroy a sense of value and meaning and and worth at all for that child. And a child becomes an adult and can be crippled for life in a sense of not having uh, that dignity and that value. Another huge need that we have is uh, that of knowing that there's a possibility for change in us. We have a need for dignity and worth. We have a need for the hope of transformation, the hope that I could be different than I have been and I could progressively become more and more the kind of person that I want to be. If dignity and worth are lost in and, and any sense of the possibility of change, then hope is, is gone. And we also need to know that when we are absolutely helpless, when we're at the end of our rope, there's nothing else in the world that can do that we can trust in God, that we truly can come empty-handed, and that he will do absolutely everything for us. This passage really gives us all of those things. This passage gives us uh, the privilege of being the children of God, and then it points to the power to live as the children of God. And finally, the provision to become the children of God. Wow, three Ps, where did you get it? Okay, Um, that's not my normal style, you know, but anyway, it worked out. Um, So I couldn't even say it without commenting, but but the privilege of being the children of God, this passage is a contrast to what's just come before when he has said in verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. As we saw last week, his own means he came home. It's the same uh, verse as used, as we said, later in John 19, verse 27, uh, when he spoke of his mother going to John's home, to his own so, he immediately goes from talking about how Christ was not received by his own, those most intimate with him, he was not received at home, suddenly to turn around to say, but there's a new relationship. Those who did receive him, and there's an emphasis on that, he, they did not receive, but those who did receive him, so it's to take us immediately to that next point, that in midst of so many rejecting him, the Israelite people as a whole, that did, and this is what they received. And the emphasis is on the, uh, not the authority, although that's the word used, exousia, when you see the word right. But it's the idea of the honor, the privilege, the right. Yes, the authority to become the children of God. And this is to jump out at us. There's a regal feel for this passage, the children of God. Uh, One old writer, Nanus, called it the heavenly honor. It has a divine sense about it. These are not just children of some earthly king, however great he could be they had the amazing privilege and honor and distinction, the majesty and authority of being the children of God. It's always amazing, isn't it, when you see a child born into a royal family, few royal families left around, or in our day, a child even born to an incredibly wealthy family. And you think right at the start, what this child has bam you know you just think this child has so many privileges such an honor automatically you know you think of the boys uh, in England they just automatically had amazing privilege and honor and this is what John is underscoring for us. In the wake of those who rejected him, he's saying, but those who received him to accept what was lost by those who didn't receive him. They lost kingship. They lost royalty. They lost the only privilege to be the everlasting children of God. And as a comment on this, I would like for you to turn with me to Ephesians Because I feel like, I think that Ephesians helps us get at the regal nature, though Paul doesn't in this particular passage use the term children or sons. Ephesians is found on page 976, if you want to use the Pew Bible, if you're not familiar with where that is, page 976. And notice first, as he talks about, in the first chapter, our knowing the many privileges that we have in Christ. He prays for this. In verse 17 of chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So, Three things that you may know. One, what is the hope to which he's called you? Two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, that certainly has a son, uh, a child reference. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he measures that power. So he's praying that you will understand this unlimited power that is working towards you who believe. And so he's trying to get you a feel of that power. According to the work of his his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. So you get his argument. I want you to understand the power that is towards you. It is the same power that took a dead man and seated him at the right hand of God. Now, interestingly, in the next chapter, when he talks about rescuing us, having described us in the first few verses as dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we walked, we walked according to the course of this world. We were under the power of Satan, as he says. We were sons of wrath, children of wrath. Notice in verse 4, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, you're to read that in light of what he said in chapter 1. He put him at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And then when he describes his rescue of us, he says he seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. So already... Already, you have a regal bearing about you. You have a regal destiny. In fact, that life, that reigning life, what Paul is saying is that we're already enjoying that life. It's as though we're already experiencing the the victory and the glory of that, and it's shining now down into this world. We are part of the kingdom to come. We are future kings and queens of that place, and now we are living in this world. But you are already seated with Him at the right hand of God, in Christ. So it doesn't just say, you were made alive. That would be a lot. You were made alive in Christ. He raised you up with Christ. But He didn't stop there. He seated you with Christ. You have a regal bearing and I think, I know this is not familiar to everybody, but Lord of the Rings, there was an m- amazing character. This is kind of a, a side story, but a, a wonderful part of the story of Lord of the Rings. There's a man named Strider that the hobbits ran into. He was called a ranger, uh, a part of the northern rangers. And at this time, this man, Strider, who is a bit of a mysterious character and kind of rough-looking guy. Uh kind of dark figure in some ways. But he was a protector of the hobbit land called the Shire. He was a protector and was a kind of undercover guerrilla, you know, against the enemy. Well, he was, he was so noble. He was a man of such character and, and courage, uh, defending them to, to his own peril again and again, going to any extent and spending himself freely for their sake. But they didn't know that indeed this was Aragon, son of Elendil. This was the the king of kings. This was the heir of Gondor and Anor, which eventually were reunited into the glorious kingdom. Uh, isn't that wonderful uh, of at the end of the book? But my point is this that he was strider. All they saw was strider, but he was really. Aragorn. And he married Arwen, the, uh, the glorious elven princess, and they had a glorious reign. He was always Aragorn, but he just looked like Strider. And you're Striders. <laughs> Every one of you is a Strider, but you're really Aragorn. And ladies, I want you to get, when Paul talks about sons of God, don't feel that leaves you out, it includes you because in Galatians 3, he says, we're all sons and there's no male or female. In other words, in that culture, the son had all the privileges. And so he says to the women, hey, you're a son now. Not in the sense that you lose your gender, you see, but you have all the honor and authority of a son. And so in this world, we, like Strider, are not what people seem, are not what people think. And so, you have that glorious passage that the same writer John writes at the end of uh, the Bible in 1 John. He says in 1 John chapter 3, it's a wonderful passage and one that you should know well because of what it says about us. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. See, that's a Strider-Aragorn thing, isn't it? We're Strider, but it hasn't appeared what we're going to be, that we're destined for thrones. We're destined to reign, as Paul says, that we will actually judge angels. How in the world could that be? But in Christ, we have become regal because we are God's children And he says, when we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So your dignity is that you're the children of God. And you see, that's why for the children of God, if God calls on them to give up a part of this world, they really don't care because they know they have a kingdom. That makes this world and everything in it look like peanuts. Nothing. They're royalty. They don't have to hold on as though they're not kings and queens, as though they're desperate to have more stuff and to hold on to their uh, rights, etc. They're royalty, and they know it. And they have a humble bearing because of that. And they're like Strider, spending themselves. Saving people, rescuing people, defending people, protecting people. Because in their heart, they're true kings and queens and have the character of kings and queens. Which brings us to the second point. It's the privilege of being sons of God or children of God. But also the power to live as children of God. And so back at John uh, chapter 1, he says... That we're born not of bloods, literally it's plural, not of bloods, uh, perhaps indicating both uh, the male and female bloods that were regarded as being a part of the new life, or maybe the many bloods of uh, their ancestry. We're not sure exactly what uh, what John means here. But we weren't born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, that point specifically to sexual desire, nor of the will of man or the husband, which is taken as the leader in that, in the home, uh, in terms of sexual activity. So, he points specifically to the normal human ways that someone is born, and he's just de- uh, creating the contrast. It has nothing to do with what we could accomplish. It has nothing to do with any part of normal human life. It's a preview of what he says later in chapter 3 when Jesus writes, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. But we are born of God. And it's a strong word. It's the same word that in When you say, a man begat this or that son or daughter, God begat you. You might not think of yourself as begatted, (laughs) but God has begat you, personally brought life to you in the same way he would describe a child receiving life from his father, her father. In this life, nothing can stand in the way of the giving of this life. And we'd couple this with what it says in verse 12. He gave the right to become children of God. That is the Lord Jesus. No one can stop his making us children. No one can stop his declaring us to be children. I think of all the bitty permutations of Uh, Cinderella and how the evil stepsisters and uh, evil stepmother tried to prevent her from getting anywhere, even tried to prevent her from being a slave uh, or tried to keep her being a slave. And their plan was that she would be a slave forever, but no, she became the queen and she ruled over them. And that's all the powers on earth can be devoted to your destruction and every event in your life seems to be devoted to create one failure after another. Everything seems to be pitted against you and there's no hope. But when he says that you will be a child and, the, and God the Father begets you, then you are a new person. You have a new privilege and you have a new life, a new power to live as a child of God. One of the worst things in the world is for someone to inherit the crown and have the name of a king and yet he doesn't have the character of that kingship. And you think of all people to be the king, of all people to receive that privilege. But for God, he creates a new life of character, a new life of obedience and love that begins to match the one that Christ himself has. And if you'll turn with me back to the back of the Bible, uh, to 1 John, I've already quoted from 1 John, but back on page 1022, if you want to turn there, I want you to see some of the statements made about those who are born of him, the ones God has begotten. And you can read these, and of course they're meant in one sense by John, to be a a way to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. But I want you to read them as an encouragement and to use them as prayer to say, Lord, this is what you said of someone born of you. So, Lord, bring about that life in me that creates this result. See? Let, Let this be a promise that you believe, that you come to him even when you see your weakness or disobedience. Uh, even protracted over a period of time to come and say, Oh Lord, if you give me birth, this must be the result. And so, Lord, give me that new life. It's so encouraging that he can and he will. Verse 29 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Isn't that wonderful? When you're born of God, you begin to practice righteousness. You begin to do the right thing. You begin to think differently. You make different decisions in your life over time, progressively. Not perfectly, but this is the nature of the new life. Those who are born of Him. In the next chapter in verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. You can tell the same John wrote this. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't sin. In fact, John says earlier, if anyone says that he doesn't sin, he's a liar. So there is always remaining sin in us. There is always Sin that continues to plague us and we're continuing to get rid of sin. We're continuing to put sin to death. But that's different than a life of just you practice sin like you always did practice sin before you are a believer. No, that's not what happens. Gloriously, wonderfully, he doesn't leave us in that condition. He gives us the privilege of sonship and he gives us the character of sonship. He gives us the privilege of being children and the character of those who begin to look like their father and who begin to look like their brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the life of God, no less than the life of God that must transform them. It must. And that's why later in chapter 3, when he's talking about love, he says... In verse 16, by this we know love that he lay down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, notice how he puts it, how does God's love abide in him? Almost to say, how does God's life abide in this man? Because if he is born of God, if he has God's life, God's love, the very kind of love that God has will show itself in his life. Because he has that life. And so, in keeping with that in chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Finally, chapter 5, verse 18, and this is a helpful verse. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And touch him means to touch him fatally, spiritually, to destroy him. He may struggle. He fights against sin. He's not perfect. But he doesn't just keep on sinning. And he doesn't just keep on sinning to his own destruction. But he is progressively becoming more and more, uh, showing more and more God's life by his obedience and his love. And the evil one does not touch him so as to destroy him. And I hope that you'll read these. I know they examine you. True. And if, you have, if you've come this morning and you have no regard at all to even obey God or care about that, then that is a danger signal. But even though believers can fall into that situation, believers get that attitude at times. Believers harden their hearts at times so that they don't care. But as a general way of life, this must show itself that if you're born of God, you do not continue on sinning. You do not practice sin. You walk in obedience and love. That is so encouraging. Which brings us to our last point. There is a provision uh, to becoming the children of God. And he says, it's all who received him who believed in his name. The helplessness of being alienated, of being lost, of not having the life of God... It doesn't matter what the situation, it doesn't tell you it's only for this kind of person or that kind of person. Only the persons that sin this much or that much. But if no, anyone who receives him, anyone who believes in him. Bring whatever set of problems and sins and devastation and corruption and hurt and pain in your life that just bring it all to him and he will make you a child of God. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform anything. You don't have to get to a certain point. You simply have to trust Him. To trust Him and it says believe in His name. Name means the full expression of who He is. And I would urge you, search Him out. Find everything that He is and everything that He's done. Everything that He promises you. Believe it all. That's what it is to believe in His name to believe in the full extent of who he is. Everything you learn about Christ is for your good and for your benefit. And it's all held out to you as a promise. I will be yours in every way. And so the Lord Jesus amazingly shares with us the privilege of being called children. How in the world could he do that? It says in Hebrews 2, and when you think that you've been ashamed of him, it amazes you that it says, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed of that. Not ashamed to look you in the eye and say, you're my brother, you're my sister, and I share with you what you did not earn. I've earned a kingdom for you, and I give every single bit of it to you. What he's earned as a human being, he gives every single bit of it to you. All the privilege and glory, all of the happiness and joy, all of the purity and character and love that he has is going to be ours in that final day. And this was God's plan before the foundation of the world because Paul says he predestined us. It's interesting in the focus of his predestination. He predestined us to be conformed to his image, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Making us children that eventually look exactly like his own son was God's purpose before the foundation of the world. You can rejoice in that. You can trust in that. have the greatest hope in what the progressive change in your life and the dignity that you have that will finally issue in the new heavens and the new earth and your reign forever and ever. Will you be a part of those in verse 11 who did not receive Him and you lose forever the only way, the only possibility of being the children of God? Or will you receive him and embrace him and become a child of God? Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, you who said later in John that as you prayed to the Father, you loved me before the world began. And you prayed, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. You came and became a man. You became a human being in order to bear our sin. In order to take away wrath and punishment. In order to destroy the power of sin in our life. In order to usher us in to the regal position of God. It's children of God. You came, as Paul writes in Galatians 4, that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we would cry out, Daddy, Father. Oh Lord, it is your delight that we can be intimate with you, that we can freely come into your presence, that we can have no guilt. That we can be, have clear consciences before you. That we can run into your throne room and, as it were, sit on your knee and speak with you. Because we are your children, forgiven in Christ, made righteous in Christ, united to Christ and all of his resources for us and the new life that he gives to us. Oh Lord, we praise you. That though we were dead in our sin, Though we had turned our backs upon you, and Lord, we had renounced any right or desire for being your children, you still came after us and gave even your only son that we might be your children forever. We praise you. Draw those here. Draw those who for whatever reason have turned you away, who've refused to believe that you are that good who refuse to believe in the dignity and the new transformation that could be theirs in Christ. Oh, Lord, draw people to yourself and make them your children. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank
1: you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian.
0: Shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love?